Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 128th program in this series. I'm coming to the end of John chapter 20, about ready to get into the Gospel of John chapter 21. This is the end of the letter that John wrote, the end of the book. At the end of John chapter 20, Jesus was having a conversation with Thomas, and I explained this in the previous message. In verse 30, John begins his closure of the book that he is writing. In John chapter 20, verse 30, he said, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And I'll come back to this in just a moment. In verse 30, John said that Jesus did many other signs, and he did. These are described in the other Gospels, or at least some of them are, certainly not all of them. But some of these things that Jesus did are described in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's my opinion that this is why John did not write about those things so much. He wrote about a lot of other things that were not recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I think that he was doing this in order to bring out some other things that had not been recorded. But of course, there was so much that took place that the world could not contain the documentation that would be necessary in order to describe what Jesus did. Now, of course, I'm sure that you can agree with me that it would be very interesting to know at least some more of these kinds of things that Jesus did, And all we have available to us is the stories that will perhaps be told when we go into heaven. That maybe then we'll hear about the stories and the adventures and the signs and the things that Jesus did in addition to what we already know about. Perhaps that will take place. I certainly will ask about it. But between the time when Jesus completed his ministry and now and the time when the Lord brings this world to an end as we know it, those things have effectively been forgotten. They are forgotten to the world. They are forgotten to the people who are in this world physically. They will only be known by those who will go to heaven. Those are the only people who may ever know what really happened because everybody else is gone. And those things are not available for us to know about right now. And I would like you to appreciate the fact that our God would like it to be this way. I think he would like it to be this way. If he wanted more of these things to be documented, I'm sure he could have spoken to a few of the other disciples to some other people to say, hey, listen, I want you to write this down also because we want to document as much as possible for the people who are going to live 2,000 years from now or 3,000 years from now, we would like them to know 
about what took place, and so that these things are not just forgotten when you die. But it appears that God, it appears that he decided that he would rather that these things be forgotten, at least until we go to heaven, and then we will definitely have something to talk about while we adjust to our new way of life. But regardless of this, what we do have is more than enough. What we do have is a lot. And of what we have, most people don't even spend the time to explore and discover and learn from what we do have. And so I, of course, have to encourage you to continue to pursue a knowledge and understanding of the ministry of the Lord Jesus and ask him to show you things that he would like you to see, that he would like you to understand through what has been recorded, through what has been written. In verse 31, John goes on and he explains why he wrote this stuff down. He wrote this down so that we might have life in his name. And I'll explain that in just a moment. And in order to have life in his name, we need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the person who John described in the letter that he wrote. So if we will believe that Jesus is who he said he was, then we, through embracing the gospel, there of course is a lot more to say than just what is recorded in this verse. This verse is a summary of the totality of what it means to embrace the gospel. But that if we will believe in who he is, then we can embrace the gospel, we can receive the forgiveness of sins, and we can receive the Holy Spirit that he spoke of that would resurrect us from the dead. Just as he resurrected from the dead, so he will also resurrect us from the dead in the context of making us spiritually alive through the indwelling presence of the Spirit of life, of the Holy Spirit, that we may have life in his name. That means that we may have the Holy Spirit of God dwell within us to make us spiritually alive. And this life that we have will carry us on into eternity even after we physically die. This is what it means to have life in his name. And this is why John wrote the book, so that people could become spiritually alive. Now, this is not the end of our lives. It's not the end. It is the beginning of a new life that we will be able to live right now and today, and that we will continue to live in eternity after we physically die. So this is not to be recognized as the end of all things. Once we have accomplished this, once we have become alive in his name, well, there you go. That's it. No, that is not it. That is just the beginning. The beginning. You are born again by the Spirit of God, made into a child of God. Now you have a whole life in front of you. A whole life ahead of you, a life of discovery, a life of exploration, a life of recognizing and experiencing what you have in Christ Jesus because of what he has given to you as a result of his death, a life of discovering who he is as a person, and of course, living our lives with him. And that's what chapter 21 is about.
Chapter 21 is about what do we do next? What does it mean to now be made alive in Christ, having life in His name? What does that mean? How are things going to be different? You know, the disciples were expecting that He would be the messianic King, as most people expected, that He would conquer and reestablish the Davidic kingdom there in the land in a physical sense. And the nation of Israel would have its sovereignty, its independence from the Romans and everybody else, and there would be the eternal reign of the King, God Himself. That's who it would have to be for an eternal reign. It would have to be God Himself who would rule as the King of Israel. Well, it didn't work out in the way that they expected. He was crucified. He resurrected from the dead. So now that he's resurrected from the dead, this would be a good time to now come in and really take over. Obviously, they're not going to be able to kill you. They tried that already. You're not going to be able to put this guy to death. You're not going to be able to murder him. And so, obviously, he is going to be the eternal king. So they're waiting. They're waiting for him to show up and take power. That was the belief in the Messiah, predominantly at that time. Now he had showed himself to the disciples twice so far. He is now going to show himself to the disciples a third time, and John describes this in chapter twenty-one, beginning in verse one. He said, "After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself." Verse two: Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. They were together, and you would think that maybe Jesus is now going to show up. They've been waiting on him for a while. He's now going to show himself again and assert himself. Now I am the messianic king. I have resurrected from the dead, even after they murdered me. They have no power against me at all, as you can tell. And so let's now go in and take over. Let's conquer. And the disciples are just sitting around. They do not know what to do. They have no idea what to do with themselves. And here we have the list of the guys who are sitting around together. And we don't know how long they were sitting around together, but I would suggest that it was a while. It was a significant amount of time, enough time for them to realize that they are probably going to have to just get on with their lives. They're going to have to get on with their lives and do something. Well, who's going to say something about that first? Who's going to comment on the fact that Jesus hasn't showed up in a while? When is he going to come by and take over? When is he going to do that? And maybe. He's not going to do that. What are we going to do with ourselves? Who's going to say something? Who's going to say something first? In verse three, it was Simon Peter. Simon Peter said to them, "I'm going fishing." That's what he says. He says, "You know what? I am not going to sit around and wait on Jesus anymore. We're not. I'm not going to wait around for the messianic kingdom." For him to come and conquer, take over, be the king, I'm not waiting anymore. I have waited long enough. Maybe he's getting hungry. Maybe he realizes that 
Things are definitely different than what he thought things should be like. So he's just going to do it. He's going to just go fishing. That's what he's going to do. And sure enough, the other disciples said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Immediately. They must have really been stirring these thoughts in their minds of, well, what are we going to do? We got to do something. Am I going to say something about this? Am I going to comment that maybe we should get on with our lives? No, I'm not going to do it because I'm going to look bad. Maybe I'm going to have a lack of faith. Maybe I'm not trusting God. You know, these other guys, they're going to, they're going to condemn me. So I don't want to be the one to say something first. But as soon as Peter says, I'm going fishing, that's what I'm going to go do. They all said immediately, let's go. All right. You know, that's go. This must have been a moment of incredible, awesome relief. For these guys to finally just go fishing, you know, just just go get in the boat and go fishing. We know how to do this. We can do this. We have been waiting around for some kind of something of accomplishment of success, anything it may be. But we know that we can go and get ourselves some fish. So let's go do this. And you know what? It's nighttime. Chances are Jesus is not going to show up at night. Maybe he'll show up in the morning. By that time, we'll be done fishing and we will not have missed out on anything. So they get in the boat and they go out there to get some fish, but they don't catch any. No fish. No fish whatsoever. All night long, they're out there looking for fish, trying to catch fish, and they don't get any. Now, I have an opinion that God decided to intervene in their lives and intervene in the lives of the fish and make sure that they did not catch any fish. I have the opinion, that's just my personal belief, that God decided to make sure that they could not get any fish. And I do not believe that this was punishment for their lack of faith, for their lack of conviction, for no longer waiting on Jesus or anything like that whatsoever. I really do believe that he did this intentionally so that he could perform the miracle that he was going to do the next morning. And that's what we have in verse 4. In verse 4 it says, this is John chapter 21 verse 4, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Obviously, this was a miracle of God. So one of the disciples, and I believe that he's referring to himself, that is John, the one who is writing this letter. He said in verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. He jumped out of the boat. And of course left nothing behind, probably to be sure that there would be no evidence to show that he was in the boat. 
He went out fishing. He was not waiting for Jesus like he probably thought he should have been waiting for Jesus. Jesus is there. Peter is out there fishing. He jumps out of the boat and he swims over to Jesus. And I can just imagine the attitude of, okay, I'm here. No, I wasn't really fishing that long. I wasn't doing that much. I'm here. I've been waiting on you. I'm glad you're back. Let's go ahead and conquer this land. Now, of course, that's not how it worked out. But this could have been the attitude that Peter had. But the other disciples, this is verse 8, but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. 200 cubits. They were not that far away. Obviously, they were not that far away if they could talk to each other, if Jesus, being on the land, could communicate with them, and they could communicate with him, and they could see each other. Obviously, they're not that far. Why not just use the boat to get to the land? You'll get there soon enough. You don't have to jump out of the boat and swim over there. You can use the boat. It's okay to use the boat. It's okay to not be in so much of a hurry. The other disciples came and they decided to bring the fish. You know, hey, we got all this fish. Let's bring the fish. Peter just abandoned it all. You know, it could have been that when Peter got there to Jesus, Jesus mentioned that to him and said, hey, listen, you know, I just got you a bunch of fish and you just left it out there. It's possible that this was a conversation that John didn't hear about and didn't record. Maybe Peter would be ashamed by such a conversation. We don't know. I'm just speculating based on the description that we have here. But continuing in verse 9, John said, Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. And fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus was making breakfast. He was making some fish and bread, and he was going to eat it, and he was going to share some with them. This is what he was doing. He did not come back today. He did not come back on this day and show himself to the disciples in order to make the announcement that we are now going to wage war and conquer the land and set up the Messianic kingdom. That's not what he was doing. He was there to have breakfast. That's what he was there for, and to talk with them a little bit. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is what I want you to see. I want you to see that he has breakfast with the disciples. He set up a fire. He made some bread. He was cooking fish. That's what he was doing. And he invited them to bring some of the fish that they had caught, which was, of course, caught by a miracle. But even so, he invited them to participate in his life, in what he was doing that morning, to participate with one another, that he gave something to them, they gave something to him, in effect, and they shared the food and their lives with each other that morning. And this was good. 
this is what our God decided to do with his friends. To sit around a campfire and have breakfast. This is a wonderful thing. And I want you to see this as a way of understanding the character of our God and to have an example of how he enjoys relating to his children. As he said in verse 5, then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? You know, have you got anything to eat? Don't worry. I got something for you. In fact, here, I'll get you some out there in the water. You bring that in. You do your part. I will do my part. And we will relate to each other. We will sit together. We will eat together. We will talk together. That's what we're going to do. We're going to enjoy our lives with one another. It's not about are we going to conquer the land. It's about are we going to live our lives. Are we going to live our lives in peace? Are we going to live our lives in growth, in maturity, in knowing our God? Are we going to enjoy the life that we have ourselves and with our God together? Are we going to do that? That is what he calls us to do. To now go out and live our lives and for him to live his life and for us to on occasion have breakfast together and do things together and eat together and talk together and experience our lives together. This is what he relates to them. This is what he shows them about the relationship that he wanted to have with them. And I believe that this is how he has related to people ever since in similar ways. The disciples were sitting around waiting on the opportunity for God to establish the messianic kingdom in the way that they expected. And he just didn't do that. He did not establish the messianic kingdom as they expected. It was just a matter of time. Eventually, they realized that they simply have to get on with their lives. But there has been a similar challenge in most of the generations since then when people who believe in Jesus, who believe in the new covenant, they assume that, okay, well, we don't have the messianic kingdom in the flesh as was expected. Now we have the messianic kingdom in the spirit We now have this spiritual kingdom that is being built and there is a conquering that is taking place. And so this is what our lives are all about. Our lives are all about conquering the world in a spiritual sense of getting more than enough people or maybe the majority of people to believe in the gospel, to believe in Jesus, to believe in the new covenant And that if we can get enough people to believe in the new covenant, then we will effectively conquer this earth for Jesus. But that is not what has happened either. In every generation, there are very few people who surrender to the new covenant. There are very few people who genuinely want to know their God and be in an eternal relationship with him. There will always be Very few people. The pursuit of trying to build the spiritual kingdom in the same way that the disciples were trying to build the physical kingdom is not what God has been doing either. 
So we also need to be sure that we live our lives and not just sit around waiting for the moment to conquer the world in the name of God. And I'll continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 128th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and then I proceeded into chapter 21 up to verse 14. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John explains why he wrote this book. He wrote this book because he wanted people to believe in Jesus so that they might have life in his name, which I believe meant that we would believe the gospel, that we would surrender to the new covenant, that we would receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and we would be made spiritually alive because of the life of God dwelling within us, that this is why he wrote his book. He wanted people to read it, to study it, to believe the truth that he revealed in the text so that we would individually turn to our God and be made alive in him. In John chapter 21, he goes on and he describes what the disciples were doing when Jesus resurrected from the dead, but he did not establish the messianic kingdom as they expected. It appears that they really weren't doing much of anything. Eventually, Peter stood up and he said, you know, I'm just going to go fishing. And it was then that Jesus showed up in their lives. He showed up in their lives when they did something, when they went out there and they lived their lives. Not when they were just sitting around waiting for Jesus, but he engaged the world With them. He engaged their lives with them while they were living their lives. They went fishing. He participated in their experience of going fishing. They ate breakfast together. They had a conversation. And the Lord Jesus called Peter to follow him, which is what I will explain in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net